Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Schmeyer campaign provocateur himself, Mr. Benny Horowitz. Good day, sir. Good day to you. Someone out there needs to really, really classify the dictionary definition of a schmear. Yeah. You know, because you go to a, a bagel place, you know, I expect a schmear is like, that's a butter knife just hanging with stuff off it. And it's a good schmear over. But some people think of it as like a light coating. That is not a schmear. That's a, that's a dusting. You know, yeah, yeah, no. I think we need a little more classifications here, so I don't get ripped off on cream cheese. But you also don't want a huge dollop. By the way, um, I just want a quick update on a story from last week. So somebody uh-huh. on more Twitter, bagel controversy. Somebody on Twitter reached out and told me to go to the bagel broker across from CBS on Fairfax. Oh, how did that go? And did we had, we had, I got an an, an egg bagel, which is uh-huh. al- already winning. Not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good. So shout out to right, the bagel give me, broker. Give me an actual. This is a half sports program. Give me yeah. a a comp. Let, let's 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 make the barometer just so we both know. Wonder Bagel Jersey City. We'll we'll put up there as the, but, you know, the bagel to to reach. Yeah. And then we'll say, uh, you know, no frills, store bought, frozen. Bagels are the the zero. zero. Yeah, okay. Where do you put this egg bagel from Fairfax? Six. All right. Yeah. And where do you put like an Einstein's? Like a four. Okay. So you're doing better. Yeah. (laughs) They got an egg and cheese? Yeah, but apparently they microwave Microwave egg. egg. Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Even out there, huh? I thought this is California. Everything with avocados and fresh cooking. You even get a fresh egg at fucking In-N-Out Burger. That's right. Or no, not at Jack in the Box. You get a fresh oh, egg. Jack in the Box. The, the have place not on Fairfax can't do this. Here's what drives me nuts, Danny. Yeah. All right. Let me let me just. <laughs> is it a busy store? <laughs> eh, it's okay. You, you, Sammy, you, you get the CBS, guys. You know, usually you got a couple industrial microwaves and a couple. You got to do some things to microwave eggs on an industrial level. Yeah. All you need to cook an egg, you don't need a whole kitchen. You don't need a whole thing. You just need those little flat tops. They plug right into the wall. You know, I, I how many bagel places I've been to that have ruined their product with a microwave egg? As you can see, this is, this is something that means a lot to me. Oh, and it should mean a lot to a lot of people. Listen, people have not like sacrifice their heritage to come to this country to bring the great the greatness to the world for for it to be microwaved the great jewish 49ers <laughs> who skipped the gold and went straight to the bagel stores of los angeles <laughs> and i was like nah gold gold schmold my future's gold in bagels schmold. we're selling bagels <laughs> to these californians Oh. Didn't work. Didn't <laughs> no, work. Didn't they work. You know what? They should have gotten into the movies, Danny. <laughs> mm, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they would have run Hollywood. Yeah, maybe. But you want to you know what segment runs our show. It is the lifeblood of the tune-up. I do. What is it? It's this day music history. Oh, <laughs> right. Do, 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 do. All right. So... You know the song uh, Down Under by Men at Work? Of course. Famous Australian pop song. Mm -hmm. So much fun. Now, on this day in 2010, a judge rules that the flute riff 
which is, you know, maybe the most important uh, hook Mm -hmm. inside of this song, uh, was plagiarized from an Australian classic. Now, here's where you'd be like, oh, come on, Minute Work. What were you doing? The 1932 song, Kookaburra, which was written by a school teacher who died in 1988 and was not involved in the case. So here's where it gets shady. At first, you'd be like, hey, Minute Work, what are you doing? You stole the flute riff? But then you find out Nothing was made of this. You know, this was a hit in the late 80s. Nothing was made of this until 2007 when a trivia show in Australia called Spicks and Specs played down under and asked the question, name the Australian nursery rhyme this riff is based on. Then the next year, Larrikin Music, which randomly owned the rights to this song, you know, the songwriter died in 1988, filed a lawsuit against uh, Colin Hay and the people in Men at Work. They they asked for 60% of the song's royalties. They ended up getting 5% of the song's royalties. But it cost the band over $4 million in legal fees to try this case. So, you know, at first you would think, oh, they won. They only have to give 5% of the royalties. But this is a really, like, I've never heard of such a a lawsuit that's such an obvious, horrible money grab by a company. You know what I mean? Like, there's clearly, like, if an artist is alive and you hear your music and you're like, oh, man, that's mine. Like, I'm feeling something about this. And then they have to go to a lawsuit. Maybe I understand. But some some company hearing about it on a, you know, quiz show and having no vested interest in this song at all you know, just going after some people with money who actually attempted to do something cool and creative with their life kind of fucking pisses me off. And Colin Hay, who is, you know, the singer of uh, Men at Work, was crestfallen. He was quoted as saying, I believe what has won today is opportunistic greed and what has suffered is creative musical endeavor. And then the flute player, this poor guy, says he's terribly disappointed he's going to be remembered for copying something. Now, these guys passed away, but this guy felt really guilty about being blamed for copying something on a lick that he maybe subconsciously took from a nursery rhyme but had no idea. So, fuck this company who sued (laughs) Men at Work. And uh, I say from now on, we have to illegally stream... uh, down under by men at work to make sure that this company, what is it? Larrikin music doesn't get any more of this cut, you know? Well, you, you know what the, uh, the school teacher should have done in 1932, right? What's that? She should have sold her, uh, her publishing and it would have been an interpolation. Who <laughs> <laughs> was buying then? Like the Australian steel company will give you a <laughs> hundred didgeridoos for your entire catalog. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. She should Marion Sinclair should have should have sold her publishing. You're right. You're right. <laughs> All right, Benny. Well, on this day in 1959, Buddy Holly, the big bopper, Richie Valance, passed wow. away in the plane crash. Uh, for, um, they were taking off from Clear Lake, Iowa. Um, the pilot of the uh, single-engine Beechcraft Bonanza. What a name. Gosh, they don't really... I like, mean, now it's like Cessna. They used to name planes would like... You, would you ever go into a plane called the Beechcraft Bonanza? Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but they were going to Fargo, North Dakota, which, I mean, 
given the technology that 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 that's that's quite the risk to take. That's not a that's not Kobe like trying to go trip. from Calabasas to Orange County over here in a helicopter. That's right. Um, but uh, this tour, this winter dance tour, was that totally insensitive to Kobe? Yeah. <laughs> okay. My bad. Didn't I mean? <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Hey, I, I thought we brought up Colorado a few weeks listen, ago. I thought if we the- were on a punk rock program with people <laughs> just like me who listened, I'd say it's okay. <laughs> um, this tour, the Winter Dance Tour, was uh, was a operation by Buddy Holly trying to make up some of the money after the breakup from his band, The Crickets. Um, so... Obviously, we all know that this went on to influence uh, the American Pie song, uh, La Bamba, the movie. So a lot's been made about this. But big day in music, 1959, the day the music died. Huge day. And it, and it played a significant role in my life because one of the first rock and roll movies I fell in love with was La Bamba. And, you know, that movie, a couple times in that film has a montage of a you know, this nightmare he has where a plane crashes down and like the parts crush people. And through my entire childhood, I was looking up in the sky thinking plane parts mm. were going to fall on my head because yeah. of that movie. But I, it always begs the question. I'm like, I'm like, wow, like what would Buddy Holly have done in like the 80s? Mm. You know, like at, at 50, 60 years old, like does would he have gone pop? <laughs> Would he have had synth rock just like everyone else did in the 80s? You know, Bob Dylan did. Uh, so I I don't know. It always that that's the kind of thing that this always makes me think of. It's, you know, a lot of people die every day and, and I feel bad for most of them. But the things I wonder in situations like this is what did we lose? You know, what did we lose? I mean, it could be like a super sliding doors moment. Like if he doesn't pass away, maybe Bob Dylan doesn't happen. And then like yeah. Springsteen and, and, and it's a whole right. a- effect there. We'd be remiss in talking about Buddy Holly if we didn't mention. Have you ever seen that Buddy Holly movie with G- Gary Busey? <laughs> I, th- I think I've seen pieces. Yeah. Oh, man. In that <laughs> movie, this- you're like, there's yeah. no way that this guy grows up to be like the crazy old man that Gary Busey becomes because he's like a legitimate actor. And that was so surprising to me the first time I saw it. <laughs> so you prefer uh you prefer Beast. La Bamba? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. Great film. Great film. Uh well kind of keeping it in the Eric California Laurel Canyon, we have some an update on a story from last week. First headline of the day, uh, following the backlash, Spotify, you know, we talked about Neil Young versus Joe Rogan versus Spotify in the cage match for the ages that you said wasn't a cage match. Um, Spotify said it's adding a content advisory to any podcast episode that includes a discussion about COVID-19. The advisory will direct listeners to a COVID-19 hub uh, that will include trusted sources. The company said this comes after Joni Mitchell. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they're back together in the fight against Joe Rogan. They're all back. Um, yeah, and and yeah. others, I think eight uh, musicians from the East Street Band as well join this thing. So my question here, right, Benny, is Spotify put an advisory on this and the COVID stuff. It, do you think this situation is over? Because right now, I think Spotify is dealing with a bigger thing with their stock price dipping due to stagnant growth. Well, I mean, there's only so long, like... You know, what 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 is the general tenor of Spotify via artists like on social media and stuff like that? Like, 
it's bad, right? Yeah. yeah, it's pretty bad. Almost universally bad, where people are talking shit on Spotify for the way they're presenting music, uh, how difficult it is to get new music seen because it's turned into this very, you know, corporate uh, whipped cream dispenser of, of only putting out the, the few bands that you want seen on, you know, all the playlists and end caps. It's basically the virtual version of like the, you know, Sam Goody end cap, <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing that's going on now. So I think there's a shelf life to how long people can sit there and listen to all their favorite artists bash the service they're using to get music. Um, so I do think there's a long standing conversation that Spotify treats artists the worst out of all these streaming services. And that's true. Their percentage and what they pay is the smallest out of all the major services. So, you know, part of this could be a, a fallout of like the long standing disrespect and sort of semi disinterest Spotify has shown towards the actual creative side to things. So the idea that when something like this comes along, some guy they just paid many millions of dollars to, to host this very successful podcast, and then they're losing, you know, the Harvest Moon album as a result. You know, we talked about this last week. It's a, it's a corporate boardroom cutting floor decision that I don't think took them half a second to make. And, uh, but as far as like, you know, my thoughts on this are a little more nuanced than last week, right? Because, you know, sometimes when I see the demands and the way things are presented and the, the way people talk in the backlash, I'm like, wait a minute, are we just as embarrassing as like people burning their own fucking Nikes on TikTok? Because like sometimes the reaction feels that way where, where we're like, okay, okay, we have we're so frustrated over the fact that like a large chunk of this country won't get a shot and they won't engage in this civil discourse that we would think would be helpful to ourselves and our industries and all these things. It's frustrating. You have no control. And the thing people do when they get no control is they get angry and you look for, for something to, to get. And Joe Rogan right now is like the villain. And I do think we're a little obsessed with the villain and making the villain and taking down the villain without actually uh, getting to the root of the real problem, which is the fact that his messaging has been more effective than the U.S. government for some fucking reason. And to me, like, that's part of the thing I'm starting to think about now, like, if Joe Rogan wasn't there, there's another Joe Rogan, right? Like, mm -hmm. because there's a sea of people who, who are leaning into this type of thinking. So I think a lot of this, you know, reactionary measures sometimes might be, uh, you know, not helpful to the big cause because we got to look at the systematic problem of what's happening here, which is the way people are receiving messaging how they're receiving it, the things that are making people, you know, perk up their ears and really listen and comprehend. The former model does not work anymore. And the government is usually the last one to be able to change for whatever reason, for various reasons. 
So I think that's a big part of what to look at now. And that's kind of where my head has been going is larger picture. Not only that, but also the fact that, okay, if I've never had Spotify, but if I'm like, okay, I'd, so now I have the choice to go to what? Apple? I have the choice to go to Amazon? I have the choice to go to these other monsters who have, you know, all these other problems in different fucking countries and continents. Like, it would be nice to have a, an ethical streaming service that comes along and actually presents itself that way, an artist-friendly one, something that that works in that direction. So I'd like to see a little more uh, proactivity than just complaining because all it's really doing is, is hashtag Joe Rogan is, has been in twice as many feeds as it has in the last two weeks. It's probably helped them, right? in the long run. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little confused now. I still fucking hate the guy. I don't listen to him. I don't like it. I, you know, I gave up on his, you know, a little right of center discourse a long time ago. And for people like me, it doesn't work, but we have to look at who's listening and why and start addressing those problems, you know? Yeah. And I think it comes down to people's desire to, even if they don't, agree with something they want to hear that point of view and oftentimes when people are allowed to uh kind of form their own opinion on things um or let me track that back people think they're forming their own opinion on things when it, it really comes down to you know how we talk on, on this podcast a lot about stats and how you can use stats to serve your argument when it comes to sports. People are trying to people think they can do that with the rest of life, and you can't. Like there are are things that you need to listen to and abide by because otherwise everything just devolves into chaos, which may be the point. Yeah, that's interesting. So, is that the whole idea of this? Is to sow chaos? I mean, I'm not going to go that far, but I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's definitely, uh, you know, because harmony doesn't make money. That's right. So, right. Well, that's the. Th I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, uh, people need to understand about the, the Trumps and the Rogans and the people like this who just like simply, their greatest skill is knowing how to get people's attention. Yeah. And for whatever reason, our idea of what should be uh, what should have enough merit to give attention to is not sinking in line, then we're not up for it, you know? And and that decision needs to be more ambiguous now, probably. All right, Benny. Well, speaking of chaos and chaos agents, the FBI is urging Olympic athletes to leave their personal cell phone at home and instead take a burner to the Beijing Winter Olympics coming up this month, citing potential for, quote, mal malicious cyber activities. The warning comes amid rising concerns by U.S. national security officials about Chinese espionage and intellectual property theft as intelligence efforts officials have said publicly and warned China has created advanced techno surveillance state within its borders, uh, blended by cameras, facial recognition and other technologies. So between COVID and this, you know, there was the, the whole thing about the American figure skater, uh, yeah. who has been quarantined there and has gone through a, a scary experience. Uh, these Olympics seem like they're going to be a real issue, right? Uh, no, probably not. And I'll tell you why. So this this is this is the problem I have with this stuff, right? Is like we get this article, like you said, 
which, you know, is like one of those let's sow, you know, a lot of uh, fear and, and, you know, like that this is this giant technical autocratic place that's going to take all your information the second you walk inside. And, you know, I think we did the same thing with COVID and, you know, it's often a, a tactic to make sure that your eyes are diverting somewhere else. Your fear is diverting somewhere else to make sure that you're not looking at your own problems. In this case, you know, you want to tell me that a country that's in a competitive tech race with America and the, the government has such a, a heavy hand there that sure, they have the ability to put in surveillance systems and surveil their citizens in a way that we would never allow here. So do I think you could walk around the street in China and facial technology is going to pop in and it's going to read you. And then you're an avatar and fucking day. I don't know. That could very well be true. And I can understand the fact if you don't want to bring your iPhone in there, like it makes some degree of sense to me. I think my biggest problem here is, you know, uh, the Biden administrating like, administration withholding government staff uh, from going to the Olympics and saying that that this is them standing up to China and making their show about the abuses in China that they apparently have a problem with. Well, you know, if you really had a problem with it and you thought it was some urgent thing and there is life or death situation for people inside that country you care about, you don't send your Olympians you know, and you actually take a stand. And this is where uh, it's the same position that the athletes in the NBA have with China. You know, it seems to me from my amateur optics, Denny, that this place has a so by the balls that we literally cannot take a firm stand about anything with them. And that is the thing that's like freaking me out now is that, uh, it's, it's the same thing when Trump was, I just feel like they have something on us. <laughs> and that's the reason why we keep, you know, kind of coddling to this thing. Like if we really believe there's hundreds of thousands of people in camps inside of that country, is there another country in the world we're doing business with? If we think that's actually true? No. So there's just something else at work here again. I, and I'm, I'm a fucking, you know, drummer in a band who <laughs> didn't finish college. So I'm not going to know. But the optics are my and really feel like that, you know? I mean, you know, in the movie Miracle, when they're trying to figure out how to defeat the Soviets, and they're like, we're going to take their strategy, and we're going to shove it back in their face. That's exactly <laughs> what they've done, buying up a lot of U.S. debt over the years, buying a lot of the real estate in, in this country, the, their business models and stuff like that have bought uh, buildings and all this stuff all across america on um, and they brought up some of our national debt as well so it's like when somebody kind of had like you're not going to piss off the money lender right because it's like what does that mean for you like 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 they could easily snap their fingers and you're in a recession in no time so it's kind of a it, it, it's a tricky game to play and they have enough cultural influence that you can have a guy like lebron who his sneakers aren't getting made if there's any sort of hold right. up um cent also is is a massive uh rights holder of the nba so it, it kind of comes back to all all of that stuff when when the money is at play here like it 100 percent is it's like what what else can you do yeah you can't shoot your ak-47 at the global internet <laughs> you know like this is where they just they got you know sometimes it's just an exercise just to see 
I'll go into like my kid's toy area and just look. And literally, dude, I'm not joking. I mean, 20 out of 20 of these toys, what you'd view American toys, you know, Paw Patrol from Canada and the Avengers and DC and, you know, all this stuff that we even like tout as super American yeah. and stuff. None of it's made here, like literally not one. And and what happens if they're just like, yeah, fuck you, no more Paw Patrol. Yeah, They can do it in so many different ways and the toys and stuff are just this small model of it. So that's where, yeah, I mean, we tied ourselves into something that we have no choice but to go along for the ride, it seems. <laughs> I just have no idea how this ends because it's like in any of like the previous conflicts, it's like if, if you look at like Space Race, be like, oh, we get to the moon, we win. When right. your national debt is tied up in this, what's the out? It's kind of like the mafia. I mean, like it's like it's like the Chinese government it's is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Racketeering. It's, so. it's it's loaning people to money that you know can't pay you back. That's how you garner influence, like all around the world. You know, yeah, they stole a pretty good trick that we had. All right, Benny. We're slowly morphing into the sports section of the show, but we're not quite out of the woods just yet. Former Dolphins head coach and current head coaching candidate Brian Flores is suing the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, the Miami Dolphins, and the NFL as a whole for racial discrimination. In his lawsuit, he cites a bunch of different things. So there's a lot of events that happen here, uh, but the real smoking gun, the thing that turned this into a, a lawsuit is the Giants head coaching search and a congratulatory text that Bill Belichick texted Flores congratulating him on getting the Giants job. Well, this was before Flores even interviewed for the job. Uh, Bel Belichick apparently meant the text for Brian DeBull, who later got the Giants job. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a real case of uh, Bill just aging and becoming an, an old man, hitting, hitting the wrong Brian. Yeah. But there's yeah, more. Yeah. There's way more to this. Uh, days later, Flores sat down for the job interview that he claims it was a sham interview. Uh, he claims that it was only meant to comply with the NFL's Rooney rules. Uh, Flores also claims that he had another sham interview in 2019 with the Broncos where he says then-general manager John Elway, CEO Joe Ellis, and others showed up to the meeting late and hung over. Um, Drunk. Oh, man. But this was the real kicker on the whole thing, looking at the Miami Dolphins. Flores claimed that Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered him 100 k to lose a hundred K a game for every loss in 2019 in his hopes to improve the team's draft pick. He says that Ross uh, inappropriately tampered with a prominent quarterback and that Flores uh, was met with disdain and he did not partake in the meeting. So a uh, lot going on here, but is the big winner of all of this Bill Belichick. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I was talking about this with a friend and all he wrote to me was, boomers and texting <laughs> boomers and texting i was like you know he wrote that on a phone with extra big numbers and he's like you know he wrote it right up to his face holding it four feet like you know th there is a very good joke to be had here with texting and the texting error but i mean honestly like uh, undeniable proof you know what i mean like that's the funny thing about it it's, it's not funny like it's funny that it went through but just like the the weird thing in the like John Gruden scandal, it's like this was one fucked up text that I think you like scratched the surface to something so much bigger. You know what I mean? Because this if it gets to this point, it is obviously the condition the situation is in. 
you know, if, if you're getting to this point. So I think for me, there's a couple sides to this I want to talk about. A is just like, Brian Fuller is an easy guy to root for. Yeah. You he know, like him. his history, how he presents himself, how he presents information. I believe him, you know, like, and, and you know, uh, I don't know if I should. I don't know if he's lying or not. Who the fuck knows? But my optics are that that's like an honest guy who's telling the truth. And and I think a lot of people are going to feel the same way because an actual football fan, you know, really discredits his firing, I think. You know, an actual football fan who knows the nuts and bolts of the league, what other coaches are available, what was given to this guy, are like, he should still have that job. We all thought it was like a head-scratching thing. Mm -hmm. So again, that lends in to the lawsuit itself. I think another big part of this is it's a class action lawsuit. This isn't just him. And this has clearly been a problem for a long time. So I'm curious about the names you're going to see jump onto this lawsuit and the names you're not going to see jump on because I have a feeling you're Leslie Frazier's, you're Eric Bieniemy's, the people who are taking a lot of interviews and are on the cusp of potentially getting a job are they going to put their name into this lawsuit and not get a job now? I don't know. You know, I, I think you might be seeing from a bunch of people who were in the mix in the past and are kind of out of it now are going to be the ones who maybe feel safe to jump on here. Um, so I can't really get into the nuts and bolts of like the legality of this. Cause I'm not even, it's not a criminal case, right? So I'm mm. not exactly sure what these teams are going to be saying and what and how they're going to be defending themselves like that minutia is a little too much for me but i think the belichick thing was was obvious and and that puts the nfl in a bad legal situation now there's another side to this right mm -hmm. so this represents the rooney rule these interviews and these sham interviews represent the rule that was put into place to try to solidify the fact that uh you know black coaches and people of color are going to get these opportunities and going to get these jobs there is one coach currently in the league so it's not working this rule that they had in place these forced interviews there has to be i don't know exactly what it is but there has to be another avenue of getting this done maybe the lawsuit will will play that out and we'll see it happen in a different way but clearly uh this this method that we've been trying is not working and needs to change now there's one other side to it for me which is what you talked about the hundred thousand dollar payoff for losing games and it's another thing that i think is going to endear brian flores to people and fans of the league is the fact that he went no, I'm a competitor. Like I came here to win. Like this isn't supposed to be the way it is. And I kind of respect that. But again, the thing that this scares me about and what I mentioned before is like, this probably happens all the time. And this is just the first time we've heard about it. And how many times have you been watching a football game, right? Your team, someone else's team, and the team is just in bad shape you know, there looks like they're going to lose. And you're like, why'd you just run a draw play on third and eight? Like, why aren't you just going for it right now? Who the fuck cares? Like, like you got nothing to lose. Like, try it. Go downfield. 
How many times as a fan have you sat there and done that? And now I got to think, wait, 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 wait. Is this coach being fucking paid to lose? Did I just take my Sunday, go up the fucking turnpike, pay to get there, pay to park, pay to get in the stadium, buy overpriced beer and knish and pretzel and whatever the fuck else. And like, and that's actually happening behind the scenes. Yo, fuck that. So that's where this case I, you know, again, I can't tell you the legal fallout of what's going to happen to the NFL, but as far as the optics and fans, the believability of Flores, the timing of the situation, the text with Belichick, like, I don't know, man, this seems pretty damning for the league, uh, but somehow they survived CTE, they survived Kaepernick, you know, it's turned into like a Trump thing with me where I'm like, I don't fucking know. I think they're too big to fail or something. So I think it's a big hit, but I don't know exactly how this this pans out. What do you think? It's unfortunate that the big and everlasting takeaway from this is not going to be what it should be and opportunities for minority candidates to get head coaching right. opportunities. It's going to be the fact that we got owners paying coaches $100,000 a game to lose. That's yeah. going to be the, the thing that I think... Um, I've heard talk that Stephen Ross may even lose the Dolphins. I'm not sure. I mean, because when when it comes down to paying someone, even if you're the owner bribing your your own team, I mean, like this is some Black Sox stuff. Like yeah. this is some like banned from life from the game stuff. That and even if everybody's doing it, he's just the one that's stupid to, to got caught. It's like Al Capone did not go to jail for murder. He got he went to jail for tax <laughs> right. evasion. It's like the same thing. Well, it's like just what we, you know, are assuming about John Gruden and yeah. things like that with the NFL. It's like we just saw the couple times that someone saw it. Yeah. And if you're being that open with it and that generous with the offer, like this isn't the first time. This isn't some new business. Like it seems like it was such old business that they assumed he was going to play along, assumed he's going to be a company man because – who turns down an extra $300,000 and keeps their job the next year? Yeah. You know, I guess Brian Flores. So, you know, uh, he could really end up being um, a real sacrificial lamb here. Like, uh, you know, I don't know what happens to him in the future now, but I, I mean, so do you think like he, he interviewed for the Saints job? He's still, he's still a possibility. Do they hire him with this lawsuit in tow? I mean, I think it totally depends on the owner. If, if this is the NBA and an NBA owner, he's getting a job this offseason because right. it's like, a, you know, Adam Silver would make the call and all of this stuff would happen. I think that, that this is a, like, NFL owners tend to get very fuck you about things. So it's like, oh, you want to go against the Shield? Banned for life. See, see you later. Unfortunately, because they, they know they're not going to lose people. I mean, like we just saw uh, the Chiefs-Bills game was like the, like the highest rated game almost ever. So it's like like the money's flowing in. All of this stuff is, is flowing in. The only way to get people to stop watching football or, or, or the only way to impact change in the NFL is to impact their bottom line. And the American public just seems completely against doing that, whether they're racist, whether they're abusing their players, any of this stuff. People are like, oh, cool, Green Bay Packers. Yeah, we're like, on our football. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, they, they, I was just talking about this with our friend Jack Curry uh, the other day, which is, 
the one thing the NFL was genius about was they're leaning in to the to the fantasy gambling age of sports more than any of the other leagues and the red zonification of sports. And if you at this point don't follow suit, you're gonna suffer. Yeah. They're a monster. Apparently 48 of the 50 uh highest televised sports events of the last year were football. Yeah. So I mean it's a fucking monster. Yeah. Too big to fail. Yeah. Uh, it's it's crazy. People love their football. They won't stop watching. Now, I got to ask you about your Giants because the New York Giants for the longest time have been all about the culture and doing things yeah. a, a certain way. The last 10 years have really put a kind of a massive damper on this. Does this at all change the way you view your beloved franchise? Yeah, of course. It does. I mean, I think that the Giants were doing what everybody else does. So I don't think they were like outlandishly bad beyond the league. I think they knew exactly who they were going to hire as a coach and they fit the criteria of the Rooney rule. Like that's what they did. They knew they were going to get this guy. They knew who they had to interview and moving on. And I think they're just the ones because of the Belichick texts that got caught this time. But again, I think it's super indicative of the way the league operates, the way people operate in the Rooney rule. And yeah, it takes the giants off a pedestal of being able to secure a moral high ground about anything. Of course. It's going to be interesting to follow this. We're, we're definitely not done talking about this. We definitely can't talk about the racial element of this, which is why we're going to stick to the hundred K and stuff like that. But, uh, I think, Brian Flores comes out of this as a real figure in NFL history. And I'm not sure if, I mean, his coaching career may have done that, but this solidifies um, that he's going to be a pioneer. He's going to be a a, a trailblazer. And that, for a guy like that, is a a tremendous thing. The one other interesting thing I thought um, about this is uh, Brian Flores, obviously a New York prep school guy. As I I said before, when Colin Kaepernick went at the NFL, he he hired... Hollywood lawyers. He 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 mm. he was going that route. Flores went for New York lawyers that are not going to let this drop. He went for the same lawyers that uh, the accusers of Harvey Weinstein hired. So, oh wow, this is okay. going to be this going to be a fascinating watch. That's some real shit right there. What is it? Does just out of curiosity, is a law group like that? To, they take this on pro bono at first, oh, just I to mean, get their name on it, because it's not like Brian Flores has like the money to secure like a law group like that for a long time. Like that's some serious cash. I mean, I think at first, but then you're going to get advocacy groups involved and stuff like that. So I don't think much of this is going to come out of Brian Flores' pocket. It may, he he may have to front it up front, but then eventually he's going to be taken care of. Yeah. I wonder how that talk about (laughs) shady shit. I wonder how that works too. That's another, another fucking episode we could do. Oh my goodness. Well, you want to talk about some shady shit. And a shady, or actually, they may not be as shady as the Giants. Mets aren't shady. Oh no, no, no! We got, we got, they got to talk about the Commanders. Oh, oh god, yeah, they're, they're very, the commanders sh- real quick? very shady. Very oh, shady. all right, the cat's out the bag. The Washington, Washington NFL franchise, formerly known as the Redskins, will now be, and formerly known as the Washington Football Team, will now be known as the Washington Commanders, doubling down on their colonizer tendencies. <laughs> I uh, what what are we what are we gonna do with them? What are we gonna do with this? I gotta be honest. listen. I I said it from the get, and I'll say 
I really liked Washington football team. It's classy, right? I thought it was classy. I thought it was nice. I thought it stood out from the rest of the league. You have some very interesting directions you can go with merch and, and aesthetic. And of course, Come the in. Redskins choose the path of least creativity. <laughs> Let's take another like just shit military themed kind of thing just to double down on the fact that we're this team we're in dc i guess that's their thing but i don't know man i find it so out of touch and not even doubling down like tripling and quadrupling down on what you should expect of this organization you know yeah it's so crazy it's it's crazy that in this era, like you would go with the military option, given how how rocky things are. But well, you know what's maybe not crazy is is let's let's extend off what we were just talking about. Slee can do whatever it wants, yeah. and its fan base is obviously you know leans in that direction. Yeah, I mean, like I don't think companies like this make decisions without knowing that a fair amount of their fan base is okay with it. And like, I think certain teams in certain places know that they're more than fine leaning into commander culture (laughs) and the NFL fans and culture will be more than behind it, you know? So again, I think it's indicative of who's watching football. I'm I'm so ready to see these like camo commander culture shirts pop up. (laughs) Oh, it's yeah. No time at all. No time at all. Those guys are going to be dressed in camo. It's probably going to be in the end zone. Like crazy. The worst. All right, Benny. Uh, Oh man. I forgot to ask you to keep the commander sexy because you can't really keep it sexy. It's like, (laughs) um, all right. One singular keep sports talk sexy. You hear the music. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have now lost their sixth consecutive game in the absence of Kevin Durant. Uh, in a game, uh, this happened on Wednesday night versus the Sacramento Kings in a game where Harden and Kyrie scored a combined 18 points. Uh, the Nets are now a game and a half out of the play in tournament. Benny, keep it sexy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's how I'll keep it sexy. Okay, there's one upside to what's going on with the Nets right now. Yeah. I'll say two, okay? A, luckily we're not in a division, not in a conference with the Warriors, with the Suns, with these teams that seem just a little step ahead right now of some of the teams in the East. Like, every single team in the East we're looking at has has some question marks and holes and have gone on some runs this season where you've been like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that team. A lot of injuries. So the one saving grace to the Nets here is that there's still three games out of first. There's still a couple games up on the play-in tournament. There's no one really back there that's really scaring me too much. And that's where I'm like, the Nets have a minute to breathe because no one is running away with this right now. That's one upside. The other upside, which I discussed last week, to keep it sexy a little bit, is... This was a uh, a non-impact. Uh, 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 this was a not conditioning injury for Kevin Durant. This was not an overuse injury. He got rolled into and he tweaked something. I think this injury beat his overuse injury to the punch. And I do think there's kind of a secret 
good thing about the fact that Kevin Durant is going to sit down for six weeks right now before we ramp up to the end of the season. That's my sexy, optimistic approach to this whole thing. But to get into the team, the thing that's worrying me most now is like, it's, it's the supporting cast. I mean, we've never had a question that if you can get the three of those players on the court at once, that they're a juggernaut. But, you know, now we're looking at Joe Harris getting a second opinion. He was likely looked at as the real fourth scoring option. The other person who's going to be wide open in this, you know, sea of uh, great creators, you know, um, and it doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. Blake Griffin's a total wash this season. Paul Millsap was a total wash this season. You know, the best effort you're getting from guys on a nightly basis is Patty Mills, LaMarcus Aldridge are doing okay. And then a group of rookies, man. I mean, I'm getting 35 minutes of Kessler Edwards a night. <laughs> nice young player, you know, we'll see something. But this is not what we signed up for as far as the Nets are concerned. And this is the real downside to fucking blowing apart a really good, well-built, stacked roster to bring in giant stars, especially ones with a history like Kyrie Irving. So uh, it's it's a little scary, but I think we still have enough padding to keep it sexy enough. One thing I want to bring up here is like, I don't like this overbashing of James Harden right now. How is he taking more shit than Kyrie Irving for the state of the Nets at this point? You know, it's just like, uh, you're starting to see one of those things again. Like people just fucking hate James Harden. They do. They don't like watching him play. They don't like his interviews. They don't like his vibe. There's something about the guy that rubs people wrong. And for some reason he'll be the pariah anytime things go bad for any of his teams. I don't necessarily blame James Harden at this point. He's not playing well, but he's also in a role that I didn't expect he would be in with players he definitely didn't expect to be running with. So I'd like to slow our roll, give a little time, rough part of the schedule to keep it sexy, but there are some pretty concerning elements to the Nets right now. I think the reason why people have are all off the James Harden train, he just got fat. People, people don't <laughs> want a fat dude putting up buckets, looking like he's out at Lifetime Fitness, just dropping on fools. No, but it, that, and, and he's also kind of been half in, half out, the entire tenure in Brooklyn. Yeah. And that, that that's not how you endear yourself to a fan yeah. base. One thing I'd like to put in the end here. Yeah. Okay. We've spent a lot of time. This is a nice way to keep it sexy too. Okay. okay? Cause I've, I've, I've thought a little bit more about something and I'm a bit more nuanced. Okay. The longer this Ben Simmons thing goes on, I'm like getting a little more in the sense that is Ben Ben Simmons might actually really not be okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting a real sense here that I, I guess I just, I heard these stories this week, this, the Shelbourne story that came out about, you know, the amount of money he's lost and the kind of bizarre situation he goes through on a day-to-day basis of like showing up to the gym and getting kicked out and, playing in private games all over Philly and really like kind of toiling right now instead of playing basketball. And it's like, I I don't think the life he has right now is enjoyable. And I don't think he's just like 
coasting right now and feeling good. I think this is a problem. And the longer he digs his heels in, I'm like, I'm like this problem may be more and more legitimate. Cause does somebody really take a year of their lives to be totally fucking miserable and give up about $30 million to just like make half a point? Yeah, probably not. You know, I mean, if he wanted to play, he would be playing right. Like, 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 I feel like we're kind of at that point with him and it's just like, I don't know. He seems pretty happy. I mean, he got, he got engaged. He's going to London to see his fiance all the time. <laughs> that's not, that that's not a miserable guy. I didn't know about the TMZ stuff. I didn't, follow, I didn't follow that. I didn't follow that. He's good. I just heard he's trudging around Philly going to high school gyms and shit. You know? I mean, like, he's not showing up at Lower Marion trying to put work on, like, the next McDonald's All-American. I I don't think he's doing that, so. No, probably not. I mean, I guess he's all right. Is he a young, handsome man who's, and you know. He's got the one thing that all of these athletes have, and that's the career insurance. I'd love if there was something like that for musicians. If you start your band, you get to your first deal. I'm going to buy this insurance, and no matter what, you get like a $5 million payout. Pretty good. I think I heard Bruce Springsteen uh, (laughs) insured his hands, and I think Jennifer Lopez insured her ass. So I guess there is some recourse for a musician. (laughs) And Benny, vicious into the tune-up, has his mustache insured. So we're all good. We're all good up here. That's right. $2 million if someone touches this thing. All right, well, if you want Benny's $2 million, you can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. No, just kidding. The way Benny's eyes lit up right there is like, what? You know what? Uh, plenty of ways, getting con- <laughs> plenty of ways to get in contact hey. with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we're at the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, be, sh- be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he's at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, you could pay me $100,000 a day to give up what? To give up nothing. I give up cheese for $100,000 a day. That's about it. Wow. And your lactose thanks you. The show has ended. Go in peace. <laughs> You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>